Welcome to Financial Crime Matters with Kieran Beer. I'm Kieran Beer, Chief Analyst and Director of Editorial Content for ACAMS, the world's largest membership organization for anti-financial crime professionals. In this episode of Financial Crime Matters, I talk with Dr. Tom Robinson, Chief Scientist and Founder at Elliptic, a blockchain forensic service. Tom and I talk about the rise of decentralized finance, which has become an amazing source of disintermediated financial services and also a threat to anti-financial crime efforts. I hope you find the podcast informative and will subscribe to this series either on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Here we go. Well, it's a real pleasure for me today to have Dr. Tom Robinson, who is the chief scientist and the founder of Elliptic, to talk about this report that Elliptic has just done that he is a co-author of on decentralized finance, a topic that is so central to a lot of what people in the anti-money laundering, anti-financial crime community are focused on right now. So, Tom, thanks for being here. Hi, Kieran. Thank you very much for having me. So what is decentralized finance? I mean, when you're at a cocktail party and people say, what is this thing? What do you tell them? And why is it growing so fast? The report details that there's now like $247 billion locked into products, I guess, on platforms and trading platforms in this stuff. The decentralized exchanges are doing like $300 billion a month. So what is it and why is it taking off so? Yeah, so this is actually quite a difficult question to answer because DeFi is quite a subtle and technical concept. And it's also quite a long way away from what we think about in terms of traditional financial services. Traditional finance is really quite centralized. So if you want to get a mortgage or obtain insurance or send money to a family member overseas, then you generally have to do that through one of a relatively small number of intermediaries. So companies like banks, remittance companies, or insurance underwriters. So those intermediaries are there for a reason. You know, It makes financial services efficient and convenient, but it also has some disadvantages. So first of all, you need to entrust your assets to those intermediaries and they might steal it or they might go bust. Those intermediaries also might restrict access to particular financial services to certain types of people. So for example, people living in poverty often find it very difficult to access financial services because it's simply not very profitable to offer those services to them. And I think those intermediaries also hinder innovation. So typically these companies, for example, banks, control the underlying financial infrastructure, which makes it very difficult for new entrants to get into the market and compete. Bitcoin was conceived back in 2008 as an alternative to this, in that it provided an open, decentralized payment infrastructure. But of course, financial services is more than just payments. And in 2015, Ethereum launched. So Ethereum combines the open, permissionless financial infrastructure of Bitcoin, but with much richer, flexible functionality, enabled through the concept of smart contracts. So these allow complex financial services to operate as software directly integrated into the settlement infrastructure. Sorry if that's getting a bit technical, but in in a nutshell, DeFi stands for decentralized finance, which is really an alternative financial system built on decentralized blockchains such as Ethereum. Importantly, DeFi is open for anyone to use and allows centralized financial intermediaries to be replaced by software running on those blockchains. 
And I think it's interesting that sort of means that anything you can imagine in terms of a smart contract, you can sort of create a product about that. That also leads to the next question, where we are in the development of decentralized finance. It's kind of a wild west out there. Uh, I think the report describes the technology is still a bit immature and with problems that are inherent to the fact that it's kind of an immature technology. Yes, that's true. To a certain extent, the technology is fairly immature, but also it's quite a mature market in terms of adoption. So this isn't just an idea or an experiment. There are currently hundreds of billions of dollars in value passing through DeFi services such as decentralized exchanges. So one commonly used metric of the size of the total DeFi market is the total value of assets locked in all DeFi services. And that's increased from around half a billion two years ago to $250 billion worth today. The growth really has been quite dramatic. I think it is reasonable to describe this as the Wild West in that there are fortunes to be made here, but there are also fortunes to be lost, and that's happening every day. So as well as opportunities, there are considerable risks that come along with DeFi. Um, so in particular, the two risks that we covered in our reports were the fraud risks and also the risks around using DeFi for money laundering. In terms of fraud, we've seen DeFi users lose around $12 billion worth of assets over the past couple of years, and that's really accelerating. So in 2020, there were about $1.5 billion in losses, whereas this year that increased to $10.5 billion. And the vast majority of these losses are simply due to mistakes in these DeFi protocols, in particular in the smart contracts that underpin them. So this might be somebody putting a wrong comma in a line of code, or it might be due to mistakes in the overall design of a, of a DeFi service. One of the core principles of DeFi is that not having to entrust your assets to a third party, and so that should make your assets safer. However, these DeFi services are basically software, and that software is written by humans, and humans can make mistakes, and that's what we're seeing here. Mistakes by the people coding these smart contracts, which can then lead to losses for DeFi users. So what we see is that third-party hackers will realize that these exploits exist. They will exploit them. They will take the crypto assets by exploiting those bugs. And I guess there's some issues in addition to that kind of fraud of hackers. There can be manipulation from whoever wrote the smart contract and who has administrative access to it. Explain that to me. This is another area, though, where there are some losses, right? Absolutely, yeah. And this represents a fairly small proportion of all losses. But there are two types of fraud going on there. So first of all, there are some DeFi services that are scams from the outset. So they're created simply to lure in victims, people deposit their assets, and then the creator steals them and runs away. So that does happen. It's a very small proportion of all losses, but it's something that DeFi users need to be aware of. The other type of loss is where the DeFi service isn't really decentralized. There is actually a single person who controls the protocol through use of what is known as an admin key. And so if a hacker manages to get hold of that admin key, they can control the protocol and they can steal people's assets. So two different types of, of losses there. Thanks for clarifying that. I had sort of conflated the two, I guess, in my question. So Let's talk about the regular environment before we actually talk about the detailed compliance controls. And I know that the compliance controls are really particularly your area and regulatory environment is a little bit different, but there is an issue right now. Who's in charge of oversight of this market? Yeah, so that's a very interesting question because 
anti-money laundering and compliance and sanctions regulations have really assumed in the past that they're going to be these financial institutions that basically act as gatekeepers to our financial system. And so the regulatory obligations have been placed on those actors. However, if we move to a decentralized world where that's simply not the case, then how does AML work? How does sanction compliance work? And that's something that regulators globally are currently trying to grapple with. And among other things, they're arguing a little bit amongst themselves about depending on the type. There's also types of products, whether it's the CFTC or the SEC uh, that has oversight. And of course, in the US, FinCEN is saying it has oversight regardless because it's AML, but that battle's going on a little bit too, right? That's part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, there really are a very broad range of DeFi services, everything from lending to exchange to insurance to derivatives. And so a lot of that is going to depend on what particular type of DeFi service is being offered. One important point that regulators have made is that not all DeFi services are decentralized. And actually, that decentralization is a spectrum. There are some DeFi services that are highly decentralized and really are just software running on a blockchain. And there is nobody really there to regulate. However, other DeFi services use a model which is quite centralized. And so there usually is a company or an individual there that can be subject to those regulations. And so you really need to take it on a case-by-case basis and see what the level of centralization is. One thing to think about then is who should be subject to the regulatory obligations. If you think about exchanges, for example, so Uniswap is a decentralized exchange that does something very similar to Coinbase. However, it is software running on a blockchain. Therefore, you can't impose the same kind of AML obligations on Uniswap that you would on on Coinbase. So who do you impose it on? Perhaps it's the liquidity providers, the people trading on Uniswap rather than the exchange itself. And so that's something I think that regulators are currently considering. That may answer some of those questions about compliance and who should be responsible. Can you give me any examples right now of, uh, we've said that AML or that money laundering, excuse me, is growing in terms of using decentralized finance. What are some of the ways in which that's happening right now? Cryptocurrency really has become the payment method of choice for cyber criminals. So ransomware, darknet market trade, the trade in stolen credit card details is all happening in in Bitcoin and various other cryptocurrencies. But the major challenge those cyber criminals face is how to launder those funds effectively, especially when the likes of Bitcoin are actually highly transparent and those funds can be traced on the blockchain. And so one tactic they're starting to use is to funnel those proceeds of crime into DeFi and pass them through various DeFi services in order to try and obfuscate the transaction trail and make it harder to link those funds to the original list activity. We're also seeing DeFi services used to prevent seizure of proceeds of crime. So, for example, about a year ago, a large cryptocurrency exchange called Liquid was hacked. A few hundred million dollars worth of crypto assets were stolen, including large amounts of of stablecoins. Stablecoins are actually issued by a central company. So, for example, there is a company behind Tether that issues Tether and the same for other stablecoins like USDC. And they actually have the ability to freeze certain accounts. And so when they saw this hack and they saw some of their stable coins being stolen, they moved to freeze those accounts. 
But what the hackers could do is quickly pass those funds through a decentralized exchange and exchange them into other assets which couldn't be frozen. And so they're using the decentralized exchange because they know that there is no sort of anti-money laundering compliance being performed by that service. And so they can get away with sending those proceeds of crime into it and converting into a different asset. We're also seeing special DeFi services known as mixers being created. So the biggest example of this is a service called Tornado Cash, which is basically used in order to hide the transaction trail on various blockchains. So a criminal can send their proceeds of crime into it, withdraw other funds out of it, and law enforcement are unable to trace those funds through such a service. And so it greatly aids the laundering process. So as well as legitimate DeFi services, we're also starting to see DeFi services that are being used by criminals. So obviously, one of the big things that Elliptic does is follow the money for government, for exchanges, for other clients. And you've just talked about how criminals keep innovating. It would almost seem sometimes impossible. How do you, you know, with mixers, how do you actually locate who is the ultimate recipient, say, of a cryptocurrency that's gone through a mixer and everything? And what are the tricks? How do you stay current? And how difficult is that? Yeah, that's true. That is an ongoing issue. Fundamentally, though, we are talking about blockchains, and blockchains are highly transparent. So we are able to trace proceeds of crime through the likes of Ethereum, through DeFi protocols even. So that's another big advantage, actually, of, of DeFi services, is that proceeds of crime can be traced through them, as opposed to a centralized financial service provider, which are basically black boxes from our point of view. So actually DeFi makes proceeds of crime much more traceable. However, I did mention that there are these special services like Tornado Cash, which have been built in order to hide that transaction trail. And new services of that type are emerging all the time. And so when we're faced with an issue like that, then it isn't always possible to overcome them. It isn't always possible to trace the funds through a mixer. And so what we try to focus on instead is being able to alert our users that such a mixer has been used by their customer. So just the fact that they know their customer has used a mixer like Tornado Cash can be used as an important piece of information that that helps them to do their due diligence or, or, or maybe raise a red flag. So it's not always about being able to trace proceeds of crime end to end. Sometimes it's just about um, providing red flag indicators such that such as the information that a mixer has been used at all. Well, this is, again, I think where we started was what a strange new world this is in some ways, the decentralized finance world. What do you think? I don't know if it was an exaggeration when I asked. Uh, it's kind of hard to even imagine the potential financial products and platforms that can be created using smart contracts and that are part of decentralized finance. Where are we going? What do you see the future for decentralized finance? Yeah, I think the rate of innovation over the past couple of years has been absolutely breathtaking. And that's because, you know, we're talking here about an open financial infrastructure. So when the internet emerged 20, 30 years ago, it presented us with a an open platform for the transfer of information. And that revolutionized almost every aspect of our lives. And with blockchains and Ethereum, we now have an open platform for innovation in terms of value transfer now. And I think that's going to completely revolutionize financial services. 
we're in the very early stages and we're working through some of the issues and the risks associated with this new technology. But I think we're going to see incredible things in terms of financial services innovation based on DeFi. It is highly risky still. As I said, it's the World West. There are fortunes to be made and to be lost right now. In terms of what kind of services we're going to see, I find that very hard to predict. And that's part of the excitement of it. It sounds to me like basically you remain optimistic, though, that even though it is the Wild West, oversight and the tools for oversight are coming and that it will continue to be a place that perhaps is even easier to trace illicit proceeds than just cash markets and that sort of thing. Is that true? Absolutely. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think there's the balance to be made here between that regulation and those controls and ensuring that the innovation still happens. As I said, the great thing about DeFi is the level of innovation that's going on right now. Some of that is going to have to be sacrificed in order to make it usable and safe for the average consumer. However, I I hope that we're able to maintain that, that innovative spirit at the core of it. Dr. Tom Robinson, Chief Scientist and Founder at Elliptic, co-author of this study that we've been talking about, this paper that we've been talking about. Thank you for being here. What a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Dr. Tom Robinson, Chief Scientist and Founder at Elliptic, a blockchain forensic service. I hope you found what you heard compelling and will subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, or SoundCloud so that you'll receive an alert for each new podcast. Because financial crime matters to me and to you. See you next time.